Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Yancy Sproul. Yancy has the unique distinction of taking three Colorado-connected tech companies public in recent years. Most recently is the CEO of DigitalOcean, which was a Techstars Boulder grad and went public last year. Before DigitalOcean, Yancy was the CFO at SendGrid, another Techstars Boulder grad. And before that, Yancy was the CFO at Digital Globe, which was another successful IPO. If that wasn't enough, Yancy's also on the board of Ping Identity, yet another recent successful Colorado IPO. Yancy, thanks so much for joining us today. Really happy to be here. Thank you. We are uh, excited to have you as a now two-time senior exec at public companies here, You know, at least with a big Colorado presence. Would love to hear a little bit about what you're up to with DigitalOcean and the, the story of how you got to this point. Well, it's actually three-time. Three-time? <laughs> I, I stand corrected. Even more impressive. Digital Centred and, uh, and DigitalOcean. You know, DigitalOcean is an incredible company. Uh, we actually just celebrated our one-year anniversary last week at the exchange. Uh, we kicked off DO Impact, which is our social giving strategy. And, um, you know, it's a massive opportunity to serve community of underserved software developers, entrepreneurs, small businesses who traditionally, you know, big technology companies serve businesses, enterprises. They don't serve individuals or, or small businesses. And our business was purpose built to, to create a cloud alternative to people to test ideas, uh, launch businesses, you know, like we like to say, uh, realize their dreams on our platform. So we have 610 plus thousand customers, over half a, mil- a billion dollars of revenue run rate. We do that generating free cash flow, unlike many uh, people in tech. And uh, we're publicly traded and, you know, we're off and running into what I think is going to be a multi-billion dollar revenue company over the next uh, several years. Well, Yancy, I can attest to, you know, being a great place to launch your company. Range actually is a customer of DigitalOcean and it's where we went to host and launch our site as well. Excellent. Love to hear that. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Yancy, so how, love to hear how you, how you got your start, you know, in, in the ecosystem to bring you to, to running a, you know, big um, successful publicly traded company today. I know you've had a few pretty interesting stops along the way. You know, I've had a lot of career twists and turns. I started as an engineer working at Corning uh, in the optical fiber business. Ironically, late 80s, early 90s, all this internet stuff happened because of Corning, who invented uh, optical fiber in the early 70s. Still probably the greatest company I've ever worked for. And um, didn't want to be an engineer, even though I loved the company, you know, left, ultimately got an MBA, was a Wall Street banker, M&A banker, loved, didn't think I'd do anything other than work in investment banking. But as I got more senior, kind of got the itch to, to get out of that and had an opportunity to come to a company called Digital Globe here in uh, Colorado, where the owners were folks in, in New York, where I lived. And uh, they were frustrated that this business, which seemed to have a lot of potential, wasn't meeting it. And 
you know, I went out as CFO to restructure it and not to take it public, but to sell it. And along the way, we realized that this could be a really big company, which it is now under Maxar and took it public and was there 10 years and took it from 50 to nearly 700 million in revenue and negative EBITDA of several hundred million of EBITDA, free cash flow, took it public, all the rest of it, did a lot of M&A. And, um, you know, then left and said, wow, that was fun. Let's do something like that again and got connected with SendGrid. And uh, that wasn't 10 years, it was about three years before we fixed it, grew it, took it public and sold it to Twilio. And, and then that led me to, to here where, um, you know, I saw this opportunity in a massive scale uh, opportunity, biggest company I, I could be a part of as a senior leader, given the scope and scale and the size of the opportunity. And given all the gray hair, they said, here's the keys as CEO and uh, here I am. You know, it's, it's really great to see the connectivity and, and kind of the evolution of the ecosystem. We had Jeff Tarr on the podcast a while back too from Digital Globe and seeing these companies that were kind of the anchors of the ecosystem that have spun off leaders that are, you know, building the next generation is, is really inspiring. And also one of the co-founders of one of our portfolio companies, Nomad, was with SendGrid for a while as well before he spun out to go launch that as well. So it's fun to, fun to see not only at the later stage, but at the founding stage as well too. Yeah, you know, I would say that the number one change that I've seen coming here in 20, 2004 in the tech landscape uh, of Colorado versus where we are today is that, is, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't people who had big success outcomes in terms of taking companies public, you know, the, the, the mantra in Colorado was get a company to 20 million in revenue, sell it, take your money, go hiking and, you know, meditate for 20 years. And that was it. And so we weren't building uh, an ecosystem of people who've seen 100 million, 200 million, 500 million, a billion dollars of revenue scale. And that's a lot different than getting a company to 20 million. And we now have a lot of successes uh, with that. And I think that self feeds and you create this real ecosystem that's not as dependent. Now there's more money coming in here. You see the big companies from the Bay Area. This is a destination for people. And that wouldn't have been the case 20 years ago because you couldn't hire engineers who understood scale in Colorado 20 years ago. They all worked for five or six different big companies. And now we've seeded these people who understand that early stage journey. And I think given a lot of the other macro dynamics in Colorado that are attractive, that's why you're seeing so many people move here from California, like they're moving to Austin. This is becoming a new place for tech, which is going to set us up. And that's as the founder of uh, Digital Globe used to say, this is a self-licking ice cream cone, right? You get more people that can do this and it, it just becomes self-sustaining. That attracts more VC money, et cetera, and so forth. Yancy, so you got ahead of my, my next question and then sort of hit on all the points we've seen. I was going to ask, you know, how you've seen the Colorado ecosystem evolve over the last sort of 15, 20 years. And, and you answered that. And it completely resonates both with me as a recent California transplant, I moved in 2019 from the Bay Area here to Denver as well. And I think we're seeing with record VC funding, everything come into the ecosystem. I think my question now would be like, what do you see as the next decade of, of tech in Colorado, given how we've grown in the past four or five years? What's it going to look like for the next 10 years here? Well, uh, you know, spoiler alert, more traffic, <laughs> higher house prices. There's a lot of reasons to move here from other places. We're, we're seeing the United States just in a macro sense, the pandemic, like it pandemic has done on a lot of dimensions, has accelerated trends that were already happening. 
So retirees come here because a lot of reasons and young people are coming here because of the successes we've had in, in venture-backed companies. That's seeding people who have money to invest in seed investors or take more startup risk. And so, and, you know, you're building a whole culture here where people can now work in small companies that actually get successful. And, um, and that just brings more talent here, more capital, uh, more big companies. So I, I just see that continuing. You know, there will be limits at this in the size of the state because I just physical limits. It seems weird to say physical, but, you know, I don't think people are going to be living in Holyoke. Holyoke is not going to become a tech hub. It's a golf hub, but not a tech hub. You know, farming is going to be still a large piece of the real estate and people like to preserve the open space. And so, you know, Boulder's rate limited. You know, that's another big change for me 18 years ago. Colorado Tech, when I moved here in 04, was Boulder. It's not Boulder now, it's Denver. And uh, the Boulder folks like that. So I, I think you'll see more money. I think Colorado Springs would be a hub for security and digital security and, you know, the ecosystem around satellite, you know, all that. I think Fort Collins, uh, you know, a lot of engineers were seated out of HP, that there's a lot of quality. Uh, up. So it's not just Denver, Boulder, but, you know, there's multiple touch points. Uh, Western Colorado, uh, I think, is, is seeing subtraction. So. I just think this is a place that people want to live. And now that we have more than a critical mass of success stories and talent, you know, that's just going to attract more success stories and talent. So I think more of the same, some limit for whatever reason, you know, our governor teased briefly six months ago, a zero income tax. I think if we were to go to zero income tax, there would be no limit on what the state could become. Yancy, what's a, a company here, uh, maybe early stage, that, that you think is particularly interesting right now? You mentioned Nomad, right? And, yeah, um, you know, Nomad is a former colleague of ours, Matt Thalen, and they pitched me on it. But I think it's just, I know Matt, very smart, like nothing stops him. And I don't know the other founders, although I met them. Very interesting idea. And what I love about that, uh, not that it's invest, you know, all that. It's that that to me was a marker that, you know, here's a guy who was a junior person, you know, was at SendGrid, got a win, learned how to scale, and now is taking some of that and not going to another, you know, go work at a big company, but he's actually going to take that and run a company and they're getting traction. And uh, that was a big marker for me that we have crossed the line here. You know, because that person five years ago made a bunch of money on a SendGrid exit, you know, hikes and doesn't work again. You know, he's happy with the outcome, but he has more hunger to go build and leverage what he's learned to, to go, you know, rinse and repeat. And that's different. That was a big thing for me to see that things are different here with, uh, you know, with the folks that are, you know, in this ecosystem now. So that was really rewarding to, to see that. Yeah. And Yancy, one of the things that attracted us, you know, to Matt and the team there is exactly that experience you speak about, right? Is is he saw scaling, he saw, you know, success on the biggest level, and he wants to go do it again himself, right? And that's just a great recipe for founders and one of the many reasons we we're excited to back the Nomad guys. So so let's jump into, you know, why we're here. We'd love to learn what your your biggest lesson is that you've learned over your career and maybe how you learned it or some ways that you, you put it into practice today. Yeah, you know, I mentioned earlier that 
you know, the best company I've ever worked. I hope that someday I can say DigitalOcean was that, but uh, the best company I ever worked at was a company called Corning Incorporated. You know, the reasons that I say that is just how they treated people. And, and ultimately, the reason is Corning is a values-based company. And I don't remember the values today, but I remember they were on the wall. They were how we were reviewed, how we were hired. They hired a certain type of person who had a passion for technology, but also had a path, was family oriented. They, they tended to strategically locate in small towns. Majority of the people that were married at Corning, their spouses worked at the company. So it was like a family, but at the same time as the best tech, you know, if you have glass technology, they're the best company in the last 150 years. Every innovation, the screen you're looking at, the call this is occurring over fiber. The screen you're looking at is an LCD screen that they innovated. Um, your cell phone screen is, is a Corning innovation. The car you're driving, has a, if it's not electric, has a catalytic converter. It's a Corning innovation. It's just the plates you used to eat on were Corning invented. The resistors that carry electricity were Corning invented. The picture tubes for TVs when they had picture tubes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But how does somebody build a company for 150 years and continue to be the best technology company? It's because of values. And so I learned, you know, I had the fortune of working for them. Uh, I worked for Clorox briefly. I worked for J.P. Morgan. Ironically, I worked for Lehman uh, in the 90s. And Lehman was a very values-oriented company. J.P. Morgan was deeply like you got the sense when you worked at J.P. Morgan that it was the same company that Pierpont Morgan started in 1800. You literally, it was bigger, it was badder, it was global, all the rest of it. But you literally thought the company was very similar to how he ran the company. And uh, you saw, you know, and um, I think that the lesson I've learned in that is you're not going to remember the numbers. And I ironically had a roundtable discussion with some employees early this morning. And we were talking, one of the longer tenured employees was asking about values. And we talk about it every all hands. Every time we hire someone, every time we promote somebody, every time we fire somebody, it's through the lens of our values. Do, you know, do we do this M&A deal? Do this the big decision that what's the framework? And I think for me, you know, having left Digital Globe where I knew every number, Having left SendGrid, where I knew every number, and two two months later, after I left both companies, I couldn't remember any numbers. But I remembered, you know, key decisions. You know, did we live our values? And when you talk to employees at Digital Globe, certainly if you talk to Jeff Tar, you know, we leveraged our values. And if you really want to build an enduring company, that's not required to build a company that's successful short term. But to go through business cycles, you got to have a framework where employees know they have a contract with one another on what's important. And everybody's got, you know, others, you know, us at, uh, at, at uh, DO, we have uh, community, simplicity, uh, inclusivity, transparency, accountability, and love. And I'm paraphrasing what those are so to save time, but those are important to us. And they're important because that's all that really matters. You know, whether we're going to get this product that we're supposed to get uh, GA from beta in a month, you know, if it slips or if we get it early, we're not going to remember in two years how much revenue. We're going to remember that we all delivered for each other. We were accountable. We kept it simple. We thought about community. Last week's announcement of DO Impact was a manifestation of us living our values. 
And so I think that if you really want a business that's going to last decades, forget, let's not even aspire to 150 years yet with Corning. Uh, you have to have that. That's the only thing that matters. So I learned that early. I've been lucky to work for companies that, um, you know, early in my career that sort of had them uh, and lived them. And uh, I've been lucky enough, you know, as an executive to be part of companies that also, you know, treat that very seriously. And, um, and I think that's not disconnected from, you know, the enduring success Digital Globe, for example, still has. Um, and, um, and the fact that they seed so many people in the Colorado tech ecosystem, you know, I don't think those are disconnected. So, Yancy, one of the things that we see with founders is I do think a lot of founders at the early stage have, have heard and maybe learned the lesson of how important values and defining the culture is from the start. Yes. We see a lot of founders that, you know, they go through the exercise and they do define what their values are, yeah. but it kind of stops there, right? Yeah. And I think they struggle from definition to implementation into yeah. the daily fabric of the company and the culture. Are there any things that you've done tactically that, you know, you can maybe leave founders with a focus on doing these two or three things to help get your values into the, the culture every day? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it's easier for someone like me, the gray hairs that come in after the founders get product market fit, after there is 50, 100, 200 people, after there is an ethos of the company, after they have tried to write something down, they're not living it because, you know, you run out of money, you don't have a company. So, First things first, right? Product market fit, get the right velocity, etc. You want to have values, but you know it also takes seasoning, and so you can't mandate values. Now you can say the company you want. I do believe you get the culture you want, not the culture that happens. I'm watching the we work, we we crash thing, right? You get uh, my assistant worked there at we we work. It's fascinating. Uh, you get the culture you deliver as leaders. And I think what founders should focus on is, let me, let's say this, let's be outrageous. And I tell founders this all the time, take a day a month with your team and don't worry about this code getting out and that code getting out. Focus on two years from now. You don't have to go 20 years from now, just focus two years. What if this all works? Let's be outrageous, it works. And we get product market fit and it's 50 million in revenue. We got hundreds of people. What's the company we want? Let's write that on paper and work backwards to today. And what are the issues that are specific to our tech stack, our customer type, whatever it is, go to market that we think. And you, you can start to think about people, technology, process, and you can map out what you need to have happen and you roll that back to today to say, how do we act differently today to get that outcome that we're trying to get? And in that will start to be, what's the company we want? And you can start to tease out the values, but values isn't an app. And I think that's what's really important. So many of these VCs put you know, these expectations that everything's an app. Like I'm on these email distribution lists with some of the former and current VC funds and the CEOs, founders, they send emails all the time. How do, I need an app for culture. And I'm like, you know, you know, it takes years to build culture. You got to have some principles. And um, 
but to, to specifically answer your question, and I, and I told our founder at DO this when I interviewed for the job, I said, look, Ben, my job, my goal would be, you know, 10 years from now, we'll, the 10 year anniversary will ring the bell celebrating our listing on the NYSC and you'll come and, um, you know, we'll do drinks and everything afterwards and you'll meet a bunch of DO employees you never worked with. And what I want, my goal would be when you meet those people, you're like, hmm, I never worked with you, but that's this DO. And yeah, the apps are different. It's bigger, all this other stuff. But it is the ethos of what made us get product market fit and lift off. You know, that's very nebulous. And everybody wants it an app. They want, oh, what, what's my first line? I don't know how to do that day one. But I think the right answer is think about the company you want. And you have to be very intentional to get the company you want. If you don't act with intentionality on culture, you get a company that maybe, you know, I don't know. I've never met the founder of WeWork or Enron. And, um, and I was at Lehman and something changed. Lehman was very values-based, very collaborative. It's inconceivable. The Lehman I knew in the 90s, in fact, they teased you couldn't make any decision without collaborate 20 people agreeing at Lehman. And yet at the end, it was five people in a room making every decision and everyone else was in the dark. They went outside the values. But I think for a founder day one, don't stress that much about values today. There's no app for that. Focus more on if this is going to work, what is the company we want and work backwards and um, be very intentional about how that evolves. Yanchi, that, that makes makes a lot of sense. Can you think of one may, maybe example of a, a core value? Maybe you have a DigitalOcean, or maybe you had in a previous company, and and maybe a tactical action or policy or or formula you guys had to enforce that particular value. You know, they all have different words and different language. You know, I think accountability is really important to me. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's early stage and you're throwing stuff against the wall or you're you know, general electric, right? Our people account, um, I, and the thing about values that's, and I always tell the team this, I don't get it. There's no CEO values, right? Values are the contract you create with the team, the whole company. We're all equally accountable. And um, that's really important. And I think one thing that founders in early stage businesses, and this is vitally important. This is why I'm, Bill Gates and Sergey and Larry and Jeff Bezos are in a, uh, you know, Larry Ellison, they're in a very rare, 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 rare group of eight sigma people who actually can scale a company. Because when you start a company, quite literally, the word founder, it's about you. And I don't know the break point. They don't ring a bell. In Wall Street, they never say there's a, they ring a bell at the top of the market or the bottom of the market. They don't ring a bell when you say you're going to have a viable company that could go for a long time. But at some point, a founder-led company stops becoming about the founder and it becomes about the company and the customers. And I think so many founders struggle with that. And that's why I like values, because we're all equally accountable. There's, there's no founder values. And then the rest of you. And if there is, that's where we get into problems. So I think for me, that that's sort of a core principle. Every, you know, integrity, whatever, honesty, customer centricity, transparent, whatever. They're all similar. Disney uses their language. You know, Google uses their language. But they're, they're sort of some similar principles. I think the key is 
everybody is equally accountable to them and it, it, you, they become part of the language. That was probably the best thing of SendGrid. You know, people, the four H's, you know, but they were part of the language. Every employee could call out me, call out the CEO. They did it routinely in all hands in meetings, you know, are you are you focusing on the honest age? Are you being humble here, or um, are you hustling? You know, every, everybody has a, it's a contract with everybody that you you're equal, and that's why it makes the company enduring because we're all accountable to the same principles. We all sign up for the same thing. You know, it's not we sign up for a stock price or we sign up to do this cool technology. That stuff comes and goes. Doesn't matter. Some of it's not even in your control as we're learning now with tech stocks, but the values are something you can control. And you hire, you promote, you fire, you, um, you know, we did that at DO. We, <laughs> we added accountability and we started exiting people. And, you know, that stiffened people's backs of, hey, this isn't a logo on the uh, slogans on the wall, right? We filter for these values on the, on the entry, we promote. And that's how you make them living and real is you exit somebody from the company. You say, hey, they were not living our values. You will change. That's the, that's culture right there. 100%. 100%. Yancy, this is great. It's super, super valuable um, lesson. Really appreciate it. And um, thanks again for taking the time. Where can our listeners follow uh, what you're up to with DigitalOcean? Well, we're on all the social. I don't tweet and do all, I do a little tweeting, but if you see a tweet from me, it's not me. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, digitalocean.com, you know, we do a lot on social to promote what we're doing. We got lots of tutorials. You should come to DigitalOcean and read our tutorials because a lot of early stage businesses, people, you know, we, we generate 10 million plus visitors a month to our website. People come to learn how to code, learn how to do things in open source. And, um, you know, it's a great resource for people. And if you're starting an early stage business or, or you're just testing code, this is a great place to do it, as, uh, as you all know. So uh, come check us out. Yancy, thanks again for the time. And we're lucky to have you in the, in the ecosystem and uh, look forward to seeing what, what DigitalOcean uh, ultimately becomes. Thanks. Yes. Thank you so much.